The Paul Kaharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. Good to be with you after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, Slow summer month ahead of us now. Um, Slower than usual even perhaps because of uh, all that's going on with with COVID and with teams not being around or having not been around. But we're going to check in on some of uh, what the Titans left us with hanging into this month um, and uh, what we're anticipating at the start of training camp if everything goes according to plan and the Titans uh, report or take the field on July 28th, whether we are around to see it or not. I bring in Wes Patrick, who uh, helped us out last time around as a host, and we will flip now to uh him leading us and uh it's good to have you with us Wes how you doing hey doing good Paul appreciate you having me back looking forward to uh, another great podcast here we go hit it so the the first uh first topic we're going to hit tonight deals with uh last week on the midday 180 you and I believe it was Johnson had on uh former Titans defensive coordinator Dean P and a really a sticking point with you these last couple of years uh, as you cover the team is the lack of consistently sacking the quarterback. And uh, you've kind of gone at Mike Vrabel a few times, asked him about it and nagging him about it. But when you asked Dean Pease about it, he said he had fun scheming up pressure uh, with Coach Vrabel. But now you say the Titans need to finish more. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear Pease talk about it being fun to scheme it up. And I don't doubt it's fun to scheme it up. Um, but, you know, he also said, you know, if you have an elite, elite pass rusher on the edge, you're going to kind of leave him to do what he does. And you kind of take the scheme out of it for that guy. I think, you know, you'd rather take the scheme out of it for that guy. You'd rather have a guy you don't have to scheme for. You'd rather have Javon Curse. You'd rather have Kyle Vandenbosch. And the Titans, you know, Jason Babin had a a good year or two in there. They've had good years from interior people. Um, Albert Hainsworth, certainly. Um, Casey, Jarrell Casey at times, certainly. But this team hasn't had a legitimate guy who you could count on for double-digit sacks in back-to-back seasons since those guys that we're talking about. And those guys are ancient history. Um. And what I joke with Vrabel about, what I give Vrabel a hard time about, is it seems almost like they don't want one. Um, but this is also the way that Vrabel it can be um, is good. At, I don't want to say he's off-putting because that makes it sound like like he's bad about it. He could take a deficiency and and joke about it. Look, he's not going to sit and bemoan their lack of having the kind of pass rusher I'm talking about. And so without one, they're going to scheme the very best they can to get the very best pass rush they can without crying about the pass rusher that they don't have, which almost in the way he talks about it makes it feel like he doesn't feel like they need one. Um, And I think there's some level of Mike Vrabel, and that included Dean Pease for the two years he was with him, that thinks like, 
We don't need a premier pass rusher. We are smart enough to outsmart people and get enough pass rush um, to be able to win without that premier pass rusher, right? Because the Patriots that he were on during the eight years, correct me if I'm wrong, if you remember this off the top of the head, uh, your head with what I wrote, the Patriots that he was on for eight years that won three titles during his eight years had one double-digit sack guy. Him, he had 12.5 sacks one year. Um, and outside of that, maybe they had one more. Maybe their high was 9.5. But again, you don't want to model yourself on what the Patriots do or did because they were always the exception. They're not the model. Time and time again, teams fail to model themselves successfully after the Patriots. And to Vrabel's credit, and the reason I think Vrabel's on the course to being a successful NFL head coach, I think for a long stretch, is because he's not trying as many others who came out of the Patriots have tried to model themselves after the Patriots. They realize this. You can take some Patriots stuff, but you can't really try to be the Patriots. And so, um, and look, the Titans haven't had an opportunity to go get great pass rushers. Um, you know, the, the Packers didn't get as much better at, at sacking the quarterback as we thought, as many of us think they did when they got to two Smiths, Zadarius and Preston. In fact, I think their sacks as a team went down a touch. But at some point, you got to take a crack at a Zadarius Smith or a Preston Smith. Uh, not many of these guys make it to market. If and when one does, you have to see one that you think can help you get better, don't you? Because you're not going to be drafting much higher than 19th or 20, what was it, 28, 29. Um, yeah, they're not going to be, yeah, they're not going to be sitting there waiting for you, uh, in the high teens or the high twenties. That's for damn sure. You have to get lucky. That's right. And you, you argue that, uh, the high level pass rusher that you've wanted on the Titans since the names of Javon Kirst and Kyle Vandenbosch, they didn't arrive at least to this point on the Titans this off season, barring a resurgence from Vic Beasley this upcoming season or a high level of production. If, if, Age Davian Clowney signs with the Titans, and would that be the guy that that maybe makes you think that they want him to be the premier guy if if he signs with the Titans? I don't know if Clowney is. I mean, now Clowney had his best sack production working with uh, working under Vrabel in Houston, nine and a half sacks. He's a good player. He's a, a he's a good player. He's not a sack artist, so to speak. He does give. He would give the Titans something that they they lack in that he could rush from the outside with an inside move. Much of his, many of his best rushes are inside the tackle. Harold Landry and Vic Beasley are very similar speed players who are edge, real edge rushers in that um, they're motorcycle lean guys to steal Dave McGinnis's terminology, who are at their very best burning the edge and finding a way to get outside the, the, tackle who's blocking them and get to the quarterback but you've got to expand your repertoire there uh, we didn't see enough of that from Harold, Harold Landry in his second year I don't know that there's been enough of that from Vic, Vic Beasley in his career in Atlanta and Atlanta you know was so anxious to let it be known that they weren't going to re-sign Vic Beasley that they didn't even just let him get to free agency they announced they weren't going to negotiate with him even though he had a pretty good second half of the year 
Um, and he hasn't lived up to expectations outside of really the second half of last year and the one big season that he had. So if Clowney comes in, which I think is still, you know, better than 50-50, is he going to be a double-digit sack guy? I don't know. Does he diversify the repertoire? Absolutely. And does he maybe free things up because he draws attention that lets Beasley, that lets Landry, that lets Correa, that lets Blitzers um, draw better, lesser matchups, fewer people doubling uh, other people? Absolutely. And so he'll make the rush better, unquestionably. Uh, it won't all come in the form of the success of Jadavian Clowney rushes. It'll come also in the success of rushes from other people who aren't or who are no longer drawing an extra blocker because that extra blocker will then be devoted to, to Clowney who definitely draws doubles and who will be moved all over the place. I mean, we've talked since his introductory press conference about Mike Vrabel's um, idea of front multiplicity. Nobody that the Titans have had will, um, will allow them to be, multiple on the front more than Jadavian Clowney. That's right. And, and you know, some people kind of argue about Jadavian Clowney because they look at the stat sheet and they see his lack of sacks, you know, since his high year with Vrabel in Houston. And then this article that you mentioned in your, in your PK.com article from John Hermsmeyer on uh, 538, you, you read it and you, Put simply, think the pressure is nice that Vrabel and, and these coaches talk about, but the numerical evidence proves to you that stacking the quarterback changes drives and changes games. Yeah, and I'd encourage people to go look at this story. Uh, it's, it's linked from, uh, from that piece that I wrote. Um, but, you know, the Titans have always said, or, or, and it it's dates before Vrabel, um, you know, to, to Malarkey, to Wisenhunt, to, to Munchak, hell Fisher, um, about the idea that, you know, <clears throat> you can impact it. Certainly you want sacks, but you can really influence, uh, the passer in different ways. That's also going to have a big bearing on the game. And I'm not discounting the fact that hitting the quarterback adds up, uh, deflecting passes, getting him off his spot, making him uncomfortable, all of that stuff. But statistically here, I think they looked at three years of evidence taking out, uh, you know, the obvious plays that uh, fourth down. Yeah, the, play, the plays that didn't end at a half or result in a safety or a block kicker punt. Right. And so drives, including a, a, a pressure, meant 5.7% more punts. Well, drives that included a sack – uh, meant 18% more, uh, punts. I mean, that's a drastic difference. Uh, drives that included a pressure meant 5.4% more made field goals and drives that included a sack meant, uh, Oh, I don't have that number handy. Sorry, but the touchdown passes and, and, and the, the margin between the, the, bad stuff or the good stuff and the, the disparity between them out of a pressure drive and a sack drive are dramatic. I mean, how surprised were you by the difference between those two things 
from a pressure drive and a sack drive. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the evidence, the numerical evidence right there tells you that, I mean, affecting the quarterback, whether he's moving out of the pocket, putting his eyes down, having to focus on an incoming bull rush or something from the outside and throwing it away. Yes, people love sacks and it makes it, you know, a third and 10 to a third and 18. But you get pressure on the quarterback and he has to scramble and throw the ball away, you're getting the ball back on a punt. And that's the whole point of the pressure and getting to the quarterback from the defensive perspective. And that's how I think Mike Brable looks at it. He knows he has. 11 guys on his defense that can affect the quarterback and put pressure on him to get him off the field. See, I'm saying it the other way. Like he's very satisfied with that pressure that provides a little bit of a boost on these drives, but the sack drives touchdown passes go down 10.9% on those drives and they only go down 0.7% on the pressure drives. So the sack drives are much more impacted. And so if you're the Titans, yeah, you can impact a lot of drives with pressure, but you can impact drives way more with sacks. And I think the Titans have come into the habit of saying, well, we're affecting a lot of drives with pressure and they're underrating just how much more they could be affecting those drives with sacks. And I think they've fallen into the rhythm of that as a franchise over time um, because it's hard to get the sacks. And so they've, they're almost conceding like, yes, we want the sacks, but we'll take the pressure. And there are some results that come with the pressure. And if you look at the numbers from this article, I was struck by just how big the gap is between the effect of the pressure, which is effective and the effect of the sack, which is super effective. They got to get more of these sacks in timely fashion. And I'll look, all sacks are good sacks. But the Titans had a share of sacks last year, and some of their guys in particular, like I thought a lot of Landry sacks, and Blake Bettingfield said this, you know, a guy who's looking at it from a, a, a scouting standpoint, not a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a less cultured eye like mine. You know, some some of these sacks are, are cheap, you know, if I, uh, sometimes. Now, does it, does it probably come out even in the end? I, I presume most things do. But, you know, Landry had a couple where a guy, uh, you know, if you chase a guy out of bounds and he's a yard behind uh, the sticks, that's a good fortune sack as opposed to a uh, real pass rush win. Um, and so I don't, you know, the, the Titans had what the Titans had. They need more. Um, and we've been saying that forever. I mean, I think the Titans' number one need, particularly once, uh, once they found their quarterback, is uh, a consistent every down pass rusher who dictates uh a double team now Clowney, you know may not be that pass rushing force but he'd certainly dictate the double team um and and so that's very much the best they can do right now um is it the best they could have done this offseason maybe maybe not so as Jadavian Clowney is an unknown right now for the titans with COVID-19 affecting the NFL and I mean, the whole world, the Titans have a lot of other unknowns that you weren't able to get an eye on and see at OTAs or a mini camp or a rookie mini camp, such as situations like Isaiah Wilson versus Dennis Kelly at right tackle, or who is playing the predominant snaps at slot corner now that Christian Fulton's in the mix, and just other general rookie offseason acquisitions that you want to see on the field and 
and what slot they're put in and how they're performing, not on paper. But another one of those unknowns is who is going to get Tajay Sharp's wide receiver four role with the Titans this season. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's not just me that doesn't have the answer to a lot of these questions. I mean, I, I think if you got, and, and I think um, John Robinson would tell you so. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they don't know. There's much more stuff than they don't know than usual. And, uh, and Vrabel's been good about saying this in previous off seasons. You know, if you asked him at the end of OTAs about the state of the run game, he'd say, I don't know, you know, and we didn't even work on it that much. There's not that much to be accomplished. Um, there's not that much to be accomplished in the run game in the off season with no, no hitting and no real contact. Um, now a, a lot of people, when I wrote a piece about Tajay Sharp, were like, well, who really cares or who's going to come in and underachieve to the level of Tajay Sharp? I mean, he was no, no star by any means, but Tajay Sharp was pretty clutch in limited opportunities last year. Now his snaps went down from 16. He didn't play in 17 hurt to 18 to 19 snaps went down, but um, among players with at least 10 catches, which is a pretty low standard, he had the highest first down rate at 80%. And he was second to AJ Brown um, in yards before the catch. AJ Brown, who we know had a ridiculous season, had 11.3 yards before the catch. Tajay Sharp had 10.8 yards before the catch. He had, uh, what, 13.2 yard average and four touchdowns, some of which were pretty memorable. And that's in 25 catches. So four touchdowns in 25 catches, nobody's coming close to that. Um, so look, I, I didn't think they were going to resign him. I did think that they were going to draft somebody. Um, and now the names that I rattle off for you in terms of who can replace him. I mean, I know everybody's in love with Khalif Raymond. Do you think most people know he caught nine balls last year and the one big playoff catch in Baltimore? I mean, Khalif Raymond is no shoe in to me. Cody Hollister caught two passes. Rashard Davis caught one. Cam Batson looked pretty good the year before he was hurt. And then you got the four undrafted rookies, Mason Kinsey, Nick Westbrook, Christian Wilkerson, and Kyle Williams. One of those guys or somebody who's not on the 90 is going to be in position to be behind A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, and Adam Humphreys. And you're one twisted ankle away from that guy being in in what is often a three-wide offense. That's no small role. Um, you know, and Tajay Sharp had a pretty decent role when Adam Humphreys was out for that long stretch. Um, so that position is of some concern to me. And it's not just when um it's not just about replacing Tajay Sharp. That's right. We talked about in our last podcast together that the Titans had just declined the fifth year option of Corey Davis. So now the job, as you just mentioned, for John Robinson and Mike Vrabel is not just finding the replacement for Sharp, but you have to find the successor for Corey Davis as he this is most likely his last season with the Titans. So I mean I'm hard pressed to see one of these guys that we just listed being um, a top three guy next year. And frankly, you're looking for a top two guy next year because Humphreys is, you know, they'll play him outside some, but that's not where you want him. He's, 
he's going to be in the slot virtually every time they're in three wide and he's on the field. He's a slot receiver. So you need another outside receiver. And, um, you know, some of these guys aren't tailor-made for outside either. Khalif Raymond is probably better in the slot. Cam Batson, I mean, these guys have more the build for slot guys, though things are changing. Um, out of those four undrafted rookies, one of the things we didn't get out of the offseason is uh, everybody being hot and heavy for one of them. Usually uh, Nashville would be in love with one of them uh, by now and think he was the second coming the way we thought that about Trey McBride and Byron Ely. And I could go on and on with that list. If I could remember them, they all turn out to be not memorable. You have some stats on, on the guy you think might wind up being the favorite out of that bunch. Yeah. If, if Mason Kinsey from Barry college, which is a division three school. And if you, I'm not sure if you do Paul, I, I, you're not in that crowd that gets excited. Like all the other people do during this time of year. But with, with them not being on the field, this is what you have to look at. And if you believe production translates to the next level, this guy had production. Now he's 5'11". He weighs 187 pounds. That's based on his his uh, uh, stats and biography page on Barry.com. This guy in four seasons had 3,343 yards receiving on 203 catches and 50 touchdowns. He had 17 touchdowns in 17-18, 16 touchdowns in 18-19, and 16 touchdowns last year. So if you're looking at something that maybe that you want to see kind of bloom into something, and maybe Mason Kinsey can sneak his way onto this roster after the Titans didn't draft a receiver in a loaded receiver draft this past year. Yeah, um, and we know John Robinson loves production at any level. Um, Mason Kinsey obviously doesn't have the draft, uh, the draft, uh, value that Tajay Sharp did as a fifth rounder coming in, but they love Tajay Sharp's production at UMass. Um, and so listen, these guys are going to have opportunity, particularly if they can help in the, in the receiving game. Um, and AJ Brown was a, uh, revelation. Titans don't have a long history of developing receivers. Um, so, you know, does one guy who was a second round draft pick, by the way, change the whole dynamic of the Titans at wide receiver? You know, that, that's a big ask. Um, and this was a terrific, terrific wide receiver draft. They didn't have a lot of picks, but they didn't see fit to take one. Um, I think next year they're going to wind up needing to take one. Um, but I, I think that's a big, uh, big story in training camp and they may only have two games. Um, quite frankly, I'm hoping they only have two games, uh, to, to see which of these guys can emerge. And, and John Robinson has said they may be leaning more on college tape than ever to make decisions at the very back end of the, what's now a 55 man roster, plus a bigger practice squad where they can shuttle guys up and down. And it may be a bigger practice squad than even was anticipated with the new CBA um, as they give them some room to manipulate rosters due to potential COVID cases. Um, but these names that we listed here, and I have no problem with people rooting for Khalif Raymond, but, you know, I, I want a speed guy who's a threat to be Corey Davis. 
and I don't think Khalif Raymond is putting pressure on Corey Davis in 2020. Um, you know, if he was, if he was that kind of guy, he wouldn't have been floating around for as long as he was. I understand he's a feel good story and he's a guy worth rooting for. Absolutely. Um, but I think he's the kind of guy that, that you put out there to find that one big play like the one he made in Baltimore, not a guy who's going to be out there on a regular basis for a, a ton of snaps. So we'll see. Titans passing game has certainly uh, grown. And some of these, the, some of these receptions, Wes, are going to wind up going maybe more so to, to Johnny Smith, to Ferkser, uh, maybe to Pruitt, and certainly to Darrington Evans, the, uh, the third round That's right. draft pick running back who's going to let the running back position be more a part of the passing game than Deion Lewis allowed for um, in, in a failed tenure here as a very expensive free agent. That's right. And so with the, um, like I mentioned earlier, with the unknown of Jadavian Clowney still being unknown, if he doesn't sign with the Titans and you would think his decision should be coming by the start of camp in the next few weeks, would you see maybe John Robinson allocating some of that money to maybe a free agent wide receiver to try to keep bolstering the offense? Or do you see him just trying to save his money, especially after this COVID-19, not knowing what the, the, uh, the funds will be available next year. Do you think he'll allow room for a possible extension for Johnny Smith, Jayon Brown, or even Derrick Henry? Yeah, I, I don't think there's another free agent that they would be bringing in if it's not Clowney. Uh, a lot of people are kind of speculating about Everson Griffin or or somebody else that they would turn to if and when they don't get Clowney. I think it's Clowney or nobody. And um, then, you know, the Titans are very comfortable having a, a sizable contingency fund heading into a season. This is probably a, a better year than most to have that contingency fund based on the potential for, um, you know, something big. I've made the argument that, uh, that I think there should be some kind of uh, special designation for COVID cases that's not um nfi or pup which which are used when people are coming in uh or ir um and that there should be some kind of salary cap relief where if your team uh you know suffers a defensive back loss and you want to go out and and get logan ryan if he's still out there that that somehow it doesn't hurt you the same way it would if you were just going to get logan ryan um if you lose a premier cornerback and the because of COVID, an unforeseen thing, um, you know, in, in the regular NFL world, that you, that you should get some kind of relief. Um, and I think, by the way, that, that uh, a Jadavian Clowney deal could be two years, not one. Um, a prove-it deal right now, uh, next year's cap isn't going to go up. Um, it could go down some. Realistically, they could go down a lot. But what they'll do is borrow against future years to, to try to keep it roughly level um and so i don't think they'll do anything else i i think they'll keep uh and i i think to get them you know they might have to manipulate a little bit against the cap but otherwise i think they're going to go forward with what they have and um take their chances uh, as is and that this is their roster either this is their roster or this plus davian Clowney um is their roster is, is my strong feeling and the indications that I've gotten, though there's always potential for me to uh, 
me to be wrong or things to change. That makes sense. I can see them uh, running it back, if you will, uh, this season on offense. And as we speak of of the offense and contract extensions, Derrick Henry's name obviously comes up, which leads us into our next topic. Titans have, at this point, under a month, a little under a month left to get a long-term contract done and deal done with Derrick Henry. That is That date is July 15th. Otherwise, he plays this season under the 2020 uh, franchise tag, which he has already signed. I mean, John Robinson, last we spoke to him, uh, right around maybe a little bit before a month left, said they were still searching for common ground. People got excited by that. I didn't get excited by that. Searching for common ground is not a good place to be. That sounds like far apart to me. Um, I know people feel like he deserves it and they want to reward him. Uh, Look, lifespans of running backs are not long. He doesn't have as much tread on his tires as most of these backs. I understand that. Running backs coming off of 300 carry seasons don't do well. Uh, Counting the playoffs, he was up at 386, I think. People don't do well. Uh, the year after that you're, you're looking for him to be an exception to the rule in a lot of ways to give him a long-term contract if you wanted a biblical contract that gave him some guaranteed money a good bit of guaranteed money based on this year's franchise tag and next year's franchise tag which would be 120 percent of this year's franchise tag i'd be all about that but going much beyond that is is dangerous territory um and teams that have done it uh, have just not benefited from it so then you're looking for him to be the exception to the rule, and I just don't know why you'd bank on that. I think, um, to his credit, he signed it. He's intending to come in without much noise about it. Um, and I don't know. If I'm the Titans, unless it's something especially creative where he's willing to take something that doesn't look great on his end, um, I would think you go forward uh, as is but maybe they come up with something. I understand the whole argument about him being the heart and the soul and the basis of the offense and all of that. But to me, if you're going to sign a back for big dollars right now to something long-term, at the very least, he's got to be a three-down guy, a modern back who's a pass catcher on third down and a pass protector. And Derrick Henry isn't good at those things. I'm not, I'm not being critical of him on that. It's just not who he is. And so he's more of a two-down guy. And I don't see how you can give that kind of money to a two-down guy or a guy who's not particularly good on third down. It's got to be a better rounded player than that. And so uh, they have him right now at that franchise tag to carry the load on first and second down and to uh, you know beat people up, run away from people, stiff arm them, and give them their identity. And it's, uh, it's his poor fortune that running backs don't get paid well in the NFL right now and that they don't have long shelf lives. Um, and the Titans, I think, have to massage those feelings as, as best as they can if they don't reach a long-term deal. If they give him a, a big long-term deal, I think, you know, two years from now we're going to be talking about how it wasn't a, wasn't a smart move. Yeah, you, you say that they are still seeking common ground. That would be Derrick Henry's representation and Derrick Henry and John Robinson and the Titans. Still seeking, seeking common ground isn't a great position. But you also think deadlines have a way of prompting results if both sides are truly motivated 
which it does seem that uh, at least publicly they both said that they would love to have each other back. But you also proposed a few cases for a long-term for a long-term deal for Derrick Henry and against a long-term deal. Ex- explain what you think there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the case for him, it, I touched on there, you know, heart and soul of the team, grown into a great leader, uh, you know, the guy who gives them their their current identity, uh, hasn't made any noise about this, team first guy, fits the locker room culture that they want to create. They've got a solid history of uh, paying the guys who have uh, treated the team well and and done all of the things that I just listed. Uh, the the other side of it is is you know also what I touched on there. It's not an every down guy. It's not a premium position. No matter how good he is at it, the history of guys with over 300 carries the next year isn't good. The history of second contracts for modern running backs isn't good. Um, and I, I think there's just inherent risk in it. And uh, I, I would proceed with great caution. And just as a basis on a potential Derrick Henry contract, Christian McCaffrey, who is that third three down back, catches the ball out of the backfield, runs away from people, just signed a big extension, roughly $16 million a year. Uh, that he, who leads the league is the highest-paid running back contract. Ezekiel Elliott, number two, 15 a year, roughly. And then three and four are Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson at roughly $13 million a year. And then fifth in the league is Derrick Henry on the $10 million uh, franchise tag this season. So with those numbers, you also say uh, the Titans, you hope they will be wary um, if, if yeah. Henry and his agent, Jimmy Sexton. I mean, fifth in the league isn't a bad spot. You could argue he's the best pure runner in the league, but then, you know, the sliding scale tells you he's not near the top five running backs in, uh, in pass catching. So, you know, it, it's, he's not outrageously underpaid this year by any means. Um, and then, you know, then people are going to talk about him having been underpaid the last four years. Well, second round picks get paid what second round picks get paid. That's the nature of the league. That's right, and and that's yeah, that's unfortunate for Derrick Henry that he was a second round pick, but he's he's trying to prove his worth. So, moving on, uh, we're gonna do a little speed round. I'm gonna hit some bullet points that I've seen you have some interest in talking about and tweeting about, and some stuff off your website as well. So the first little bullet point here, uh, Lamar Jackson uh, had some comments about taking the Titans lightly and disrespecting them in the AFC divisional game. He was on a podcast last week on Complex's load management, saying that he wants to focus on not peaking ahead this season, as that mentality is what got the Ravens in trouble against the Titans. Yeah, this was lame. And I'm surprised his head coach didn't come back a little harder on that because it it doesn't make the coaching staff look good. Harbaugh said, you know, roughly that's not what I think happened. But if that's what he thinks happened, you know, so be it. Um, it's an immature thing for him to have said. Nobody's looking past anybody in the NFL week to week, and certainly not in the playoffs. Um, and and if I'm a Ravens fan, then I'm saying to to Lamar, dude, you looked past the team in the playoffs? Like we were Super Bowl favorites, and, and we didn't go to the Super Bowl because you looked past the team in the playoffs? What's the matter with you? Uh, 
a lame, lame answer. Another example of the Titans not getting their due. Uh, Titans put together an excellent plan to beat the Ravens. I think they got credit in the moment, but now, like I read previews of the Ravens' upcoming season, and it's really glossed over. I'm not saying they gave a blueprint that everybody's going to be able to use to beat the Ravens, but I would think there'd be at least a little caution where you say, hey, one team showed a, a good path to beating the Ravens, and I would think other teams could at least find some helpful hints in there. I think it's been washed over pretty casually and certainly was too casually washed over there by Lamar Jackson himself. Paul, you had some thoughts on Amy Adams drunk commenting her stand and the Titans stand against racism and in support of all players. And you commented that good for her not waiting on Jerry Jones and the rest of the, and the rest of the NFL shouldn't wait either for a comment. Well, I, I mean, uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN had this this thinking that the the all the owners were waiting on Jerry Jones to talk. A ten had already talked before she said that. I don't know what the basis was. Amy Adams Strunk issued the statement before Jerry Jones talked that made it at least eleven. I don't know where this idea that everybody was waiting on Jerry Jones came from, but I also think uh, Amy Adams Strunk came right out, unlike some of those other owners, and said Black Lives Matter. I think that probably hurts her at the box office, quite frankly, with some uh, high roller conservative types. I don't really think there are two sides to the issue, but um, she clearly wasn't trying to toe any lines where uh, she was worried about offending anybody that uh, she wasn't thinking about the box office. Um, she wasn't doing the, uh, the Michael Jordan-ish kind of thing where, uh, you know, she was conscious of everybody buys tickets and I don't want to say anything on any, again, I, I keep saying, you know, on either side, but I don't really think it's a two-sided issue here. Um, but quite frankly, in the South, there are, are people who are going to look at what she had to say and not like it and might be less, less likely to, um, support her product uh, because she made a stand that way. And so uh, I respect the fact that she wasn't worrying about things like that when she said what she did. You had a Twitter response to uh, about NFL media and Adam Lefko tweeted that the NFL media was embarrassing being silent AF quote unquote about the racial issues in a league that's 70% black yet the NFL media rushes to put a filter on the players to turn them into women. The players really don't mean anything to you, and it shows. Your well, I do, think, I do think a lot of people were quick to play with the uh, players as women, coaches as women filter, and I don't really I'm, – I'm capable of scrolling past stuff on Twitter I don't like, I think. I don't know Adam Lefko. I don't know if he's a good NBA reporter or not. Uh, I only have a couple NBA reporters that I follow and like because I don't really like the NBA, but I don't know who he is to lecture me. And I guess he's not lecturing me because I'm not one of the people he's talking to because I have addressed the racial inequity stuff um, in what I've said on the radio show, um, in, uh, in a little bit of what I've tweeted and what I've written. But I don't know who this guy is to get on the soapbox and tell me. I'd like to know, uh, and I'm not going to spend the time researching it, how, how strong a stand did he make on the NBA kowtowing to China? So, uh, you know, give me your resume on that, Chief, or you be silent as fuck. Um, a little few notes from your mailbox here. 
Uh, someone commented about Johnny Smith's ceiling and what jump do you think he can make this season? Well, I just I responded to this. I'm tired of people asking if Johnny Smith is uh, is qualified to be tight end one. Johnny Smith's been tight end one for two years. Uh, Delaney Walker ripped up his ankle in the first game two years ago. Johnny Smith was tight end one all season. It took him a while that that season to get there. But he got there last season. Delaney played seven games. His playing time was very sketchy, and Johnny was doing the bulk of the work. Johnny's not going to produce numbers like Delaney, partly because he's not Delaney, partly because they now have AJ Brown, um, and they're going to be a little bit more wide receiver centric. But I think Johnny's, you know, proved what Johnny is. Now you'd like him to be a little bit more consistent game to game, but this is also more of a matchup offense. And they're probably going to be games where they feel like they've got a real matchup advantage with Johnny Smith and they're going to go to him more. And they're probably going to be games where they feel like um, that, that he's not got the matchup advantage and they're going to look somewhere else. And I think the only guy who's probably above that matchup deal in this offense is going to be AJ Brown. But if you've got a question about Johnny being tight end one, I mean, they're not shopping for a tight end one and I'm pretty sure they're going to try to re-sign Johnny Smith um, you know, maybe as early as training camp, but certainly before he gets to free agency next year. I agree with that. You were tweeted at, um, at paulkoharski.com or on Twitter about the signs around the parking lot and banners on Nissan Stadium with players such as Delaney Walker, Logan Ryan, Drell Casey, Marcus Mariota, players who are no longer with the team. And you were ready for the Titans to address that at some point in the near future. Yeah, those were just on some of the little like flagpole banners around Nissan Stadium, but they've also got um, several of, of guys who aren't going to be around on, on the big uh, and I'm sure expensive banners. And obviously they're going to have to change those out. Wesley Woodyard's on one of them. Casey's on one of them. I think Delaney Walker's on one of them. Those are just things that need to get changed out on a regular basis. Um, and I just think that they probably don't really worry about them before, uh, the season, uh, is we're close to the season and COVID probably slows that down too, because it's not an essential thing to get guys up and, uh, cherry pickers to, uh, to change those out. But it is amazing how many of those are, uh, that shows you, you know, we've talked a lot about the leadership turnover. And generally, you've got leaders uh, up on those things. And you just list it off. Between the two of us, we lifted off six, seven guys who had those positions of honor uh, flying on flags around the stadium, and they need to, to get the new faces up there. And, Paul, real quick, I wanted to mention and give you a little moment and have your thoughts and your thoughts about the Titans' former uh, defensive lineman, Josh Evans and his recent ca uh, cancer diagnosis. and just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, Jim Wyatt wrote a nice story about Josh. Um, his, Josh Evans is a really nice guy. He had some struggles with, uh, with substance abuse during his Titans career. Played some really good defensive line for uh, the Super Bowl era Titans. I was out of town, uh, I think actually for a friend's funeral, when um, Shrek came out or became a big deal. And one of the guys got a, uh, a cutout, like a movie advertisement of Shrek and uh, put it, I think I'm remembering this right. They put it next to Josh's locker 
And everybody started calling Josh Shrek because he did look a little bit like Shrek. And so that whole thing had taken off for a couple days and it had died down and I was away for the whole thing. And so I came back and of course I had missed the whole thing and everybody brought me up to speed. And so I saw Josh and I was like, what's up Shrek. And I brought the whole thing back to life. And I think it was the camel that broke the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. And if I remember it correctly, he then took the cutout and uh, smashed it over his knee, broke it into pieces and threw it away. So that was the end of, uh, <laughs> of Shrek's official locker room presence. Uh, uh, he was pissed, but it was all in good fun too. Uh, great guy. I'm sorry to hear that uh, he's unwell. I joined the prayers that he's asking for and, uh, and hope for the sake of he and his family and his kids that, uh, that he's, he's got uh, a second act. Yes, Josh will definitely be in our thoughts and prayers here. I'd like to finish with something called three from me, which I'm just going to ask you three questions. Uh, maybe a little separate from what we've covered in this podcast tonight. First one is we, re- we recently heard Jarrell Casey's thoughts on the McCourty Twins podcast about his trade from the Titans to the Broncos and how, quote, the Titans threw him away like a piece of trash. Paul, how much will this topic be brought up and talked about until week one's Monday night opener between the two teams is over? Oh, endlessly. I, I think it, maybe it'll be quiet for some of like I could imagine now I, this is kind of in a world where we we would have like broad access and I don't think we'll have broad access. But I would think as as reporters are able to talk to the people who were close to Casey um, early in camp, even if it's by Zoom, it'll be brought up and then in the week leading up to the Denver game, it'll be a huge storyline. Um, Casey will be asked by it a bunch in Denver and uh, all the guys here will be asked by it a bunch. Um, I think Casey will be calmer about it at that stage, having gotten to know his teammates with the Broncos. Um, but then, you know, it will be a big question after that game as well, seeing how it plays out. Um, and, then and only then will uh, will we get a chance to put it to rest. And, um, you know, if he plays well and uh, and Simmons doesn't and, and Clowney's not around, the Titans will probably get a good bashing for it. Number two, Jamal Adams sure does make a lot of noise and headlines for a player who has been on a team with a combined total of 16 wins over his first three seasons in the league. Reports say that he's officially requested a trade from the New York Jets and news service today that Adam's relationship with Jets head coach Adam Gates is a major factor in his requesting a trade. Where do you think he ends up? And is it funny to you at all that the teams he listed that he wanted to be traded to were all playoff teams and Super Bowl contenders? Yeah, it's a real shocker. Look, the new CBA it really punishes you for holding out. It, it, the, the leverage of a holdout is gone. Um, I don't know who's ponying up the kind of draft picks that um, that the Jets would want. Houston's pretty much given up all its draft picks and uh, and doesn't need a safety to the de- to the degree that it would would sell out to get one. And that's the team that trades draft picks like crazy anymore. I think he's on the Jets, um, and he can't hold out. So I, I don't really know what what he's threatening here. Jets would be my bet. 
And Paul, we got some news last night, and you've been sour on the owners and the Players Association both. But baseball is coming back as of last night. They both, the owners and Players Association, came to an agreement and finally see a baseball season in sight. So are your Yankees going? And this sounds weird. Are they going to go 60-0? and 0? <laughs> They're not going 60-0. and 0. I, I want to see the Yankees on the field. As bitter as I am about the whole way it went, as much as I hate it, as much as I hate the owners particularly, because I don't think they handled it appropriately at all. You put the Yankees on, on my TV and give me daily stories on how they're doing. I mean, I'll be watching every night depending on what else is going on. I, I, I'm going to want to see what the Yankees are doing on a daily basis for those 60 days, 60 games played in however many days. And you can be damn sure when they're in the playoffs, I'm, I'm going to be watching every game. And I don't feel good about it. I feel like I need to take a shower after every one, but uh, I'm being honest. So that is my three from me. I appreciate you having me again, Paul. But with, with lots of uncertainty on the horizon, what do you foresee a month from now at PK.com that we can look forward to? Well, um, look, I'm going to do the very best I can with whatever uh, we are given. I have no idea. If, uh, if we're going to be invited to, uh, to watch training camp practices or if we're going to be in range of talking to guys, I certainly hope there's some accommodations made. Uh, you can be sure I'll do the best I can. And uh, sponsorship opportunities abound here. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to need a travel sponsor, but if we're traveling, uh, I will. Periscope, Facebook Lives, uh, I can put your name all over that. This podcast is going to be available. Blake Bettingfield uh, will be more valuable than ever uh, in terms of breaking down the X's and O's going into games and coming out of games. Uh, and I certainly need to fund that project. And if we really want to go wild and grow paulkuharski.com, John Glennon's out there um, after his unfortunate fate with The Athletic. Uh, and I'd love to find a route to getting him on board, which would grow subscriptions. Uh, but that also would start with a sponsor. So if you're a fan of the work going on here uh, and the insight and the analysis uh, that we bring, um, uh, uh, reach out, pkuharski at gmail.com. We could have a conversation. Uh, an event coming up, I think, in the first week of July involving John Robinson that you're going to be interested in as well. So stay tuned. My thanks to Wes Patrick for jumping on board and uh and giving me a second voice here wes i really appreciate it thank you stay tuned for more at paulkuharski.com and as always tune into the midday 180 on 104.5 the zone weekdays 10 to 2 and then again 6 to 7 p.m central time thanks everybody we really appreciate it the Paul Kaharski podcast is a joint production of paulkaharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V O K A L now.com. <laughs>